So when I was in college, I went to Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri, and in the administration building, there is a mural painted there. It's a painting of Jesus standing in a harvest field, and there's just a few people working out in that field. There's, if you were to count, there's uh, seven of them, which is a biblical number, and if you could look really closely, you would see that each of those people are of a different nationality, because this is a worldwide harvest, and the church is a global church, so there's different people. And then off in the background is a skyline of a city, because of course there is a harvest field, but Jesus, is, he's really talking about how we, how we save others, how we rescue other people, and so that takes us to cities and where people live. And he's just kind of, you know, inviting us. He's got his arm out there. He's just inviting us to come out into that harvest field and work with him. And so every time you walk into the administration building, you just, you were to see this, this mural, which was a reminder for us as students and for the administrators and the faculty that what we're there to prepare to do is go out into this harvest field. And this painting is of the passage that we're going to be looking at today in Luke chapter 10. And as we, you know, we kind of look at this mural and as we're going to go through this, this passage this morning, you know, that looking at that painting, it kind of just, the way even Jesus invites you in, it almost just makes you want to feel like, well, how can I just jump into that painting and just, let me just jump right on in there. It kind of makes you ask the question, well, how can I get involved, Jesus? What do I have to do to get, to get into that harvest field and be part of that with you? Which, makes it, which perhaps takes us back to an even simpler question that a lot of us ask regularly of ourselves, which is, well, how, how can I share my faith? How do I talk to others about Jesus? Maybe I don't have the right techniques. Maybe I don't have the right methods. Uh, maybe, maybe it's pretty nerve-wracking and scary. You don't know where to begin. But Jesus, in this passage, is going to kind of lay out for us some instructions on how we can work in his harvest field, how we can share our faith and be part of his mission. So just to kind of set this up for us just a little bit, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out just his 12 disciples on a kind of a missionary trip. They're supposed to go out into a few little surrounding towns and villages, and he gives them very simple instructions, which are then expanded on in chapter 10, where he sends out 72 people, which means, because a lot of times in the Gospels, we think, well, there's just these 12 guys following Jesus. Actually, there's way more than 12 people following Jesus. The Gospels focus on the 12 disciples, but there have to be at least 60 other people following Jesus so that he has 72 people to, to send out amongst the neighboring towns and villages, and preach the gospel. So here's what Jesus tells them, kind of jumping down there to verse 2 and 3 where Jesus starts talking. He says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, I want you to notice how Jesus describes the harvest. He says that the harvest is plentiful. Plentiful, which is just this word that means there's a ton of it. I think a lot of times we sort of get in this expectation that the harvest is not plentiful. Like sometimes we think there's just not that many people who really want to follow Jesus and they just don't, they don't really care. But from Jesus' perspective, actually, there are plenty of people who want to follow him and are ready for somebody to share the good news with them or for somebody to help them along in their discipleship. The harvest is plentiful. The problem is not that there's not enough interested people. The problem is there's not enough people who want to go out and work in the harvest field. 
Jesus says, that's the problem. We don't have enough workers. We have a, we have a shortage. Now, I don't know, if you, you know how much you pay attention to the news when it comes to, like, church news. That's, I mean, that, I'm a pastor, so I, you know, it's kind of part of the job description, keep up with the church news. But we are in the middle of a pastoral shortage, which has been going on for a little while. It started before COVID because um, a lot of the oldest pastors did not retire when people thought they would retire, and then all of a sudden they all retired at the same time. It's like, whoa, there's a bunch of job openings now, and we don't have enough new people to take over those spots. But then during COVID, a whole lot of people uh, resigned from ministry, and they're not going to go back. They're burned out. Um, and it's hard. There's not like a you know, national database of pastors in America, so you kind of have to piece the information together from different places. So um, according to the Catholic Church, there's around 3,500 Catholic parishes that don't have a priest right now. That's, that's a lot. Catholic Church is very large. Uh, Lutheran churches have reported that they're, no long, they're hiring people from outside their denomination because there are not enough Lutheran pastors to cover all the churches. Now, I can specifically talk a little more about um, our Christian church movement a little bit. Um, our, you know, there's, there's a number of kind of Christian church colleges, Ozark being one of those. And in the mid-2000s, all those colleges put together graduated about 800 ministry students to go, go into pastoral ministry. Right now, those numbers are in cut in half. There's only about 400 or so. So you just start to kind of do the math and go, oh boy, there's just there's not as many pastors as, as we need. So yeah, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. But what Jesus is talking about is not just for like full-time pastors. It's also for all of us. The harvest work is for all Christians. And so yes, we need more pastors. You know, I, I'm secretly, you know, I, I've said this before, but secretly I pray in my office that some of our students will decide to go into ministry. So parents, if you're going to get upset, you can get upset with me later. But I'm praying for that because we, we need more pastors. But also, we just need more committed Christians to get out into the harvest field and accept responsibility for the work that God has given us to do. And luckily, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus gives us some pretty good instructions on what to do and how we can go about doing this work. So if you look just at verse, verse 3 and 4, here's how he starts instructing these 72 on what they're going to do. He says, Go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. Just just don't miss the first two letters. Go. Sometimes we kind of breeze right through that and like, eh, go. No, there's an exclamation point on it. That's a command. He says, you got to go. He wants us to go. And if you don't go anywhere, you can't really do the mission. You can't do it passively. You've got to be kind of active in that work. You know, you can't nap through it. That's not how the harvest works. You can't pull in the harvest from your reclining chair. You know, those of you who are farmers, you know that. You've got to go out and you've got to get to work. And so if you want to share the gospel, here's kind of the first first lesson for us. If you want to share the gospel, go where people need to hear it. But here's the great news about that, is you're already going somewhere. Where are you going tomorrow morning? Some of you, you're going you're going to your job, right? You've got your, you've got your office, you've got your place of work. That's where you've got to be tomorrow morning. Some of you, you're, you're heading to school. You're going to class. You've got to practice later on tomorrow. Some of you, you're going to run by a coffee shop before you head into work. 
Some of you, you've, you've already got plans made with a friend. You're going to hang out or you're going to catch up. Wherever you're going, I just want you to change your mindset a little bit. The place where you are going is part of the harvest field. God's already got you there. So change your mindset about how can that place that you are going be the harvest field for you. And maybe that just changes your mindset a little bit from, uh, you know, maybe some of your coworkers or some of your employees who, they, they get on your nerves a little bit. You know, you can be, it's church, you can be safe, it's, just, it's safe in here. Maybe you've got some, some coworkers that, that kind of grit on your nerves a little bit, and you're just like, ugh, I can, put, I can put up with Jerry or whatever his name is, you know, it's fine. Maybe you've got some people that you're in charge of, and you're just like, oh, the work ethic is not like it used to be. I, I've just, I just got to keep going back over their work, and I, I feel like I've got to babysit them. Maybe that's how you feel. And so there's definitely your work stresses, but what if you could see that is like a harvest field? And say, okay, yes, this person gets on my nerves. Yes, this person's not doing a great job, or maybe they're a great worker. But also to see it is, how can I help share Jesus with them? I'm already here. I'm already going here. So what can I do? How can I tell them about Jesus? And the rest of this verse sounds like Jesus is not uh, being very responsible. Because he says, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. There's like, that sounds like a terrible idea, Jesus. Why would you do that? None of us would do that. But his point is, not just that we've got to go, but if you want to share the gospel, expect trouble. It's not that Jesus is not responsible. He's just being honest with us. Like, this, this is what it's going to take. He knows what he's going to have to go through, and he knows exactly what we're going to have to go through. So he's not sugarcoating it for us. He's getting straight to the point. Like, if, if you go, you need to expect that there will be trouble. But here's the good news about that. In verse 16, Jesus tells us, Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Notice in that, that little chain, he never, he never really says they're rejecting you. He says they're rejecting him. They're rejecting God. So in other words, don't take it personally. Like when you run into resistance and you run into trouble, don't take it personally like, oh, it's my fault. I messed up. I can't believe. Now this verse is not an excuse to be a jerk. All right, That's not what this means. I can be a Christian jerk about it. This verse just means that when they get mad at you or they, they're not interested, it's, it's not you, it's Jesus. So he says, pass, pass the blame on to me. You don't have to carry that weight. Let me deal with it. Don't worry about that. Don't take that trouble personally. Now, jump back up to verse 8. There's a few more instructions here. He tells the disciples, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So Jesus adds, adds on to the idea of expecting trouble, and he says, here's when somebody doesn't receive you and they reject you, here's what you do. You just brush it off. That was kind of this, this old ancient way of you just symbolically, and literally they would do this. They would shake the dust off of their feet, which kind of says, I'm done with you. I'm going to forget about you. I'm taking my blessing and my peace from you, and I'm going to go somewhere else. And Jesus says, when you run into trouble, when people reject you and they give you a hard time, just 
shake it off. Brush it off, say, not going to worry about it, not going to let it weigh me down, and just move along, move along with it. But notice in both situations, in the situation where people are accepted and in the situation where they're rejected, both times Jesus makes sure they understand the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God is approaching whether people accept it or reject it. I think this this picture, C.S. Lewis does such a great job of this in his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you remember in that story, there's a part where, well, when the, these four kids show up in this magical world of Narnia, and it's just winter, it is cold, and the characters will tell them who live in Narnia, they'll say, it's always Christmas, or it's always winter, but never Christmas, which is the worst. It's always cold and icy and snowy, but there's no Christmas. There's no joy. There's, there's no holiday lights and cheer going on. But then, as the story goes on, people start to tell them, they say, Aslan's on the move, have you heard? And if you haven't read the story, Aslan's this mighty lion that's supposed to represent Jesus in the story. And so they say, Aslan's coming, he's on the move. And as he gets closer and closer to arriving in the story, they start to notice it's a little warmer outside. Like they realize, I don't need my big coat anymore. And the snow begins to melt, and the rivers begin to thaw, and at one point, Santa Claus even shows up because it's finally, he says, I can finally come. And this is what C.S. Lewis is capturing for us. No matter what's going on, the kingdom of God is on its way. We're kind of in this, this little gray area right now where it's, it's not quite spring, but the signs of spring are there. Like the river's thawing, the snow is melting, some, some plants are starting to pop up. But we're not totally there yet. It's not fully spring. Because we have to wait for Jesus to come back. But in the midst of that, Jesus is reminding us, no matter the good or the bad, the kingdom of God is it's on its way. It's getting close. And things are beginning to happen. But here's what that means for us. Here's our, here's our third lesson. If you want to share the gospel, act with urgency. You've got to act with urgency. That's why Jesus in this passage begins to warn them. He says, it'll be better for Sodom than it will be for this town. And in this passage, he mentions some Old Testament cities like Tyre and Sidon that were like, they were always in trouble in the Old Testament. They were just sinful, you know, as, as Obi-Wan Kenobi would say, you'll never find a more wretched harbor of scum and villainy. Those were those towns in the Old Testament. And the irony of it is, God says, well, Jesus says, well, if I would have preached in those towns, they would have repented. That but Israel, some of you won't even, aren't even repenting. And so he's warning them, there's this urgency. Time is running out. There will be a day where you, you can't share Jesus with that person anymore. There will come a point where it is too late. And so you have to take advantage of the work. And if you've ever worked, like, on a farm, some of you are farmers, you, you know how the harvest goes. Like, when it is time to pull in the crops, it is, you get up as early as possible, and you work all day until it is just too dark to work anymore. And you're always checking the weather, because if there's a bad rainstorm or, or hail's on the way, when I grew up in Kansas, the farmers would hate that when the, it's harvest, but there's a hailstorm coming in, and that could destroy your crop. And so you are around the clock. You're pulling in. I've got you know, friends in Kansas who, they're adult children. Wherever they live, they come back home for harvest season to help get everything in on time and on schedule. And it's urgent. You got to keep up with it. And Jesus says, same thing for us. We've got to take advantage of every opportunity that God gives us because the clock's ticking. It's an urgent mission that we're on.
and that we're a part of. He goes on in verse 17. So the the 72, they go out, and in verse 17, they've come back. And it says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. How cool is that? Like, look at what we're doing. And Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, the the 72, they come back, and what they think is so powerful, so cool, so impressive is, like, we cast demons out of people. Like, we prayed for somebody, and they, they got up and they could walk. We prayed for a blind guy, and they could see, like, Jesus, cool stuff happened. Like, towns accepted us. They wanted to follow you. And Jesus tells them, when he says, you can trample on snakes and scorpions. Those are symbols for, for evil. He says, I've given you all the power you need. I've given you the authority you need to crush Satan's kingdom. But don't get too excited about that stuff. Because if not, we can get pretty careful. We can, if we're not too careful, we can... We can start to focus on the cool things God does through us, and we can get real excited about that. Like, oh my goodness, God answered my prayer. Oh my goodness, God used me to bring somebody to Jesus. I must be pretty cool. And that's, eh, Jesus, like, that's not actually the important part. The important part is, where's your name written? That's the important part. Here's the next lesson for us. If you want to share the gospel, focus on the bigger picture. Focus on the bigger picture. Because Jesus did not tell us this. He did not say, be most excited about where your name is written. He doesn't say that to make us comfortable or complacent. He's not doing that to say, now see, look, you don't have to do anything. Just sit back, relax, don't, don't, you don't have to work harder or anything. He said that to make us confident. He made us confident that, hey, no matter how many people accept what you got to say, no matter how many people reject you, it's okay. Your name is on the roll call of heaven. It's all going to be okay. And if we miss this point, we will guilt trip ourselves. And we will be pretty miserable Christians. Because I want you to think about this. We all have things we count. We all do. Maybe you count uh, your bank account. Or every once in a while you check your investment funds, like your retirement account, and you see how's how's the market doing up, down, what's going on. You, You count that. Um, maybe some of you are counting how many days are left until you finally get to retire, and you're just counting down the days. Some of you, you're counting down the number of days until you graduate, and that's either exciting or stressful because you're supposed to like figure out where you're going to college or figure out what, what job you're supposed to have, and everyone's asking, what are you going to do next? You're like, I don't know. Just leave me alone. I, you're, you're all counting something. Maybe you're counting uh, the number of grandkids you've got and how many are on the way. We all have things we count. Maybe you go to work and you count like what it's going to take for you to get that next raise or that next promotion. You're, we're counting this stuff. We all have things we count. And we do that as Christians too. You might count your own church attendance. You might count how many times you've read the Bible or how much of the Bible you've read or how often you pray. And when you count, sometimes you feel really good about yourself. You're like, man, this week, man, I read the Bible every day. Or man, you know what? I prayed for probably a total of four hours this week. Woo, I'm on it. And then other times you count, and you're like, ooh, 
My Bible's got a thick layer of dust on top of it. Yuck. I'm a terrible Christian. Or you've realized, I've told like 20 people I would pray for them, and I haven't prayed about anything. Like, I prayed for my dinner, but I haven't prayed for like anybody. And you're like, I'm a terrible Christian, and you feel awful. And there's this really fine line between a guilt trip and conviction. Because when you count, you're tempted to think how good you are, not how good Jesus is. And you begin to think, well, maybe, and maybe deep, deep, deep down, you're not super confident that your name is actually on the roll call of heaven. Like, you're like, well, how do I know that 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 I know? Jesus says, it's, your, your name is there. If you're a follower of Jesus, your name is on the roll call of heaven, so be confident. And out of that confidence, you can get to work. Because here's that line between a guilt trip and conviction. First off, a guilt trip, it's always driven by you. Out of a sense of something that you need or something that you want, or feeling like if I don't do X, Y, and Z, maybe Jesus won't let me into heaven. He'll be like, well, I'm looking at your, your church attendance, and ooh, you missed some days. You'll feel like it's kind of like a Christian report card. And you're going home to your parents like, ugh. Well, they say you've got a D in English. You speak English. What's the problem? And you're like, ah, it's hard. I don't know. But the Holy Spirit will also convict you when you're not being obedient to Christ, when you're not living out of the confidence and the freedom he's given you. And the main way to know the difference is you have to have a relationship with Jesus so you know when it's the Holy Spirit convicting you to get in the game and it's not just you guilt-tripping yourself because you, like, you just feel bad. Like, maybe I'll get in trouble. Maybe God won't like me. Maybe he won't let me into heaven if I don't do X, Y, and Z. So I want you to think back. Last, last week, Caleb and some of our students helped us with the parable of the sower. And if you think about it, the sower in that story is terrible at his job. But let's think about this for a minute. When all of you get ready to like plant your gardens here in a little bit, you're not going to like buy a bag of tomato seeds and go out to your front driveway and just lob them out there. Like, what? That's not going to do you any good. No, what are you going to do? You've got a spot at your house that is the garden. And that is, it's special soil. You, you prep it differently. You take good care of it. You do everything you need to do. You might put a little enclosure around it to keep animals out. And what do you do? You make a little hole and you put the seeds in there and you cover it up and then you're careful to water it and you pay attention to it. That's, that's what you do. But this sower in that parable, he's just, he doesn't care. He's taking seeds and he's just wasting them. He's throwing them on the dirt road where they're not going to grow. He's throwing them on soil that hasn't been prepped. He's throwing them in the middle of fields of weeds, thinking, what is this guy up to? But that's, that's the point. It's no accident that story comes shortly before this one. Because Jesus' lesson is, it, it's not on you. Like, your job is to work in the harvest. Your job is to just... Spread the good news. And you won't always know what condition someone else's life is in. You won't always be able to tell. And don't take it real personally, and don't try to count for yourself and think, well, man, I'm not doing a very good job. It's Jesus is trying to get you to take the pressure off of yourself. It's his power, not yours. He just needs you to be obedient. He just needs you to show up. He just needs you to go and follow through. Because he's the one who's going to provide the power to transform somebody's life. So you hear all that, and you think, okay, well, how, how do I really do that, though? Well, let's think about the 72. How did they get ready to go? Well, they spent time with Jesus. It's just that easy. They spent time hearing his, 
his lessons and his teachings and following him around and watching his example. And at some point, he got them ready and said, okay, now it's your turn. Now you go. Two by two, use the buddy. The buddy system is great. Use the buddy system. He says, go out, two by two. Now, I want you to think back to when you first learned to do something that is now easy for you. Maybe, maybe it's like when you first learned how to drive, because I remember that. Uh, my dad took me in the old, our 1990 Dodge Dakota. So we had 1990 Dodge Dakota. That was going to be my car. He took me to the parking lot of like this sports complex we had in town. It's, it's, you know, dark. There's no one in the parking lot. Plenty of room for me to drive around and not ruin anything. And so he's like, all right, Justin, your turn. So I get in the driver's seat and he says, okay, just put it into drive. I put it into drive and the car just kind of, you know how cars, they just sort of on their own, even without pushing the gas pedal, they just kind of slowly roll forward a little bit, like maybe, I don't know, five miles an hour. That's how fast it was going. And I felt like we were flying. I was like, oh no, this is, we're going so fast, I'm going to hit that light pole. I just, yeah. And everything was nerve wracking. You know, I mean, my dad finally, okay, we're going to go on the street. I'm like, that, yeah, am I too close to the yellow line? Like what? Like everything. You're nervous about everything. You feel like you're just going way too fast. Now you don't even think about half that stuff. You get on the highway and go 70 or 80 or whatever, and it doesn't feel like that you're going that fast. And for you, there was some skill you learned, and at one time it was terrifying, and now you don't even have to think about it. Maybe it was uh, how to do financial reports. Maybe it was how to do a lesson plan. Maybe it was how to start an IV. Maybe it was how to organize an event. Maybe it was you know, figuring out how to diagnose an animal, whatever it was, at one time, that was really, really hard for you. And it was, like, terrifying. Like, you had somebody looking over your shoulder, like, did you get the IV started right? You missed the vein. Again, you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. This real person's in pain, right? Whatever it was, it was scary. It was terrifying. But then you get to a point where you you can do it in your sleep. You don't even think about it. It doesn't get you scared anymore like it once did. And that's the same way evangelism is. Because when you get started, yeah, it's, it's scary and it's nerve-wracking and you're just so freaked out about what if I say the wrong thing and what if I don't have the right answer to their question and what, what if, what if, what if, I don't know what to do about this or this or what, and you just, you're just terrified and so you don't even do it. Well, the point is you're going to have to start somewhere and yet it might be a little awkward the first time you sort of say something along those lines, but that's okay because over time it will get easier. And eventually, you won't even think about it. It, it. You'll just do it. You'll just be like that sower. You're just throwing seeds all over the place, and you're not, there's not really a strategy. You're not thinking really carefully about, okay, what if I do this, or what if I do that? You're just, this is what you're doing. This is what you're doing. Now, whenever you've heard about evangelism, that doesn't mean, doesn't mean you've got to cold call people. doesn't mean you have to walk up and talk to strangers. Some of you hate that. I hate that. I don't like talking to strangers. You don't have to do that. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean you have this, this pre-packaged plan and you've got to roll it out in order. Because some of you are like, ugh, that's not really me, and that feels kind of disingenuous. That's not what it is. It's about being intentional around non-Christians. And some of you, you already know some people. You're going to go see them tomorrow. You already know you've got some people around you who don't know Jesus. And if you don't have anyone like that, then just be intentional. Maybe that means you sign up for a fitness class at one of the gyms, or you, you join some little community club or organization or, or something where you're going to be around people who don't know about Jesus. So you can get to know them and, and share with them. But it also doesn't have to be like, here's this whole rolled out plan. 
It could be as simple as, you know, you're talking and there's like, oh man, you know, weekend was tough, got this big decision to make, and you just say, well, have you prayed about that? And, and they may sort of do like the cultural thing, like, oh yeah, yeah, sure. Or they may be like, I don't, I don't pray. You know, well, I believe in Jesus and I believe prayer really works and I believe he'll listen to you. You should, you should just try to pray. Why don't you try? I could help you if that's okay. I could pray for you right now. Sometimes it's just that easy. It doesn't have to be this whole rolled out presentation. You get out a PowerPoint. It doesn't have to be that. It can just be little, little bits here and there over time, little moments, little examples, sharing little things over time. So when Jesus ends this, this passage, it kind of brings a really interesting thought to mind. Like, how many of you wish, if you could go back in time, how many of you wish you could go back in time and watch Moses part the Red Sea? I would. That's one of my top Bible moments. I want to go, I want to see that. You know, or maybe you wish, man, can I just go back in time and kind of sit on a hillside and watch David beat Goliath? Like, how far away was he? How did, what was his form with that slain? I want to see it. Or, man, can I, can I just somehow, like, I don't know how this would work, but can I go back and watch God create the world? Like, could I hear him say, light, and there's light. Could I just see that? Well, did you know Moses wishes he could switch places with you? That's how Jesus ends this passage. He says in verse 23, Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. The heroes of the Old Testament wanted to live now. They really did. Moses would trade the ten plagues and parting the Red Sea and water from the rock, and he would trade all of that to be in church this morning. You know why? Because he was just laying the foundation for this. We get to have the Holy Spirit. They didn't get that yet. We get to have this close relationship with God that only Moses had for moments, but he didn't get it all the time like we do. They were waiting for the day, because God kept talking about, there's going to come this day where I'm going to send my Messiah, and then I'm going to use my people, and we're going to change the world. And all the Old Testament prophets just got to talk about it. They got to tell people it's coming. They got to lay the foundation. They didn't get to do the actual fun work that we get to do. And when Jesus talks about Satan falling like lightning, we get into a whole thing about when does that really, is that a specific moment in time? How does that all work? But really, Jesus' point is, when we do the work of the harvest, we are involved in a spiritual battle. Like, you are helping defeat Satan. Like, you are a part of what Jesus is trying to do in changing the world. Like, when you pray that God would change somebody's heart to get to know him, you are a part of this spiritual battle that's going on. When you share a little bit about what God is doing in your life and share a little bit of the gospel, you are part of this, this spiritual battle that's going on. You get to be a part of that. You get to do what the 72 did, where Jesus says, when you were out doing your work, it was like Satan was falling from heaven. You were trampling over the forces of evil. That's what we get to do. Because what Jesus said to Peter is, Peter, I'm going to build, I'm going to build a church on you, and the gates of hell cannot overcome it. And the imagery of that is that gates are defensive, not offensive, which means we're not like holed up trying to survive. We're the ones 
attacking the gates of hell. They're, they're the ones running and fleeing. They're scared. Satan, the ones who he knows he's lost, he's trying to do as much trouble as he can before Jesus comes back and it's finally game over. This is an exciting mission we get to be a part of. This is like, I mean, this is, if you haven't seen this movie, you just, just go home and watch this movie, all right? This is like at the end of Avengers Endgame, when Captain America lines up and says, Avengers, and everybody shows up. And there's this final charge to kind of, you know, win the day. That's what we get to be a part of. It's not this little thing. It's not an inconsequential thing. It is a huge mission that we're a part of. And so Jesus is inviting us. Here's the harvest field. I've done all the hard work. I just need you to be confident. I just need you to be, be obedient. So you, we get to line up with Jesus and charge into the fields that are ready for harvest. Or you can sit at home and miss out. But I'll tell you, you'll really miss out. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for the hard work that you have done in preparing people's hearts and minds to be uh, ready to join you, that you've done this hard work of preparing a harvest, and you just need more workers. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would encourage us and motivate us and challenge us to be those workers who go out into the harvest field. Holy Spirit, help us to see the places we're already going as part of that harvest field. Help us to be aware of the people around us who need to know about you. And God, give us the words to say and give us the courage to speak about you. Whether it's, it's little sentences here and there and a prayer once in a while, or whether it's, it's sitting down with somebody for an hour or two and, and walking through the whole gospel. Help empower us to work in your harvest field. It's in your name I pray. Amen.